You're listening to audio from Living Grace Church in Tyler, Texas. To find out more about Living Grace, go to livinggracetexas.org. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40, where it says, For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. This is the word of God for the people of God. All right. Thank you, Brother Larry. And y'all may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Kai. I serve as one of the pastors here at Living Grace, if you don't know me. Uh, Thankful that you're here today. Uh, we are continuing our series called This House. This is our, the last, I guess you can say, installment of this series where we're just saying, hey, where are we going as a church? What are we going to do? Why do we do the things that we do? And so we talked about the vision, the goal here at Living Grace is this, is that we exist to enjoy, to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples who make disciples. And so we've talked about how in order for us to make disciples, we have to be following Christ. And the way that we follow Christ is we enjoy him. And when we enjoy God, it's obvious to those around us. And so then it's easy to then to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ, right? That's discipleship at its simplest form. Follow me as I follow Christ. And then as a church, the three pillars of what we're going to be built on is this, is our gatherings here on Sunday morning. Our goal is to be like the early church. So what we see in the early church is that they gathered by the thousands in uh, different places in the temple and Solomon's colonnade, different places, but they gathered to sit at the feet of the apostles' teaching. And then we'll be gathering in house churches where we'll grow deeper together and where it'll be a little bit more intimate, but where we'll get to know each other, where we'll be able to do life with one another because we were created for community. We were created to be with other like-minded believers. We were saved into the body of Christ, which is us, right? The church isn't a building. It is us. We make this a church. And so this is why we gather in house churches. And today we will finish by talking about our ministry partners. And these are those we will partner with so that we can see the kingdom move forward in the city of Tyler. But in order for us to drive these pillars. We have to have values. We have to have things that will drive. And so our values are this. We will be biblical. Every song that you hear, every single message you hear from the kids and and here, the goal is to be biblical. We will go through books of the Bible so that we don't miss a single part of scripture. Some people want to skip certain parts of scripture because they're difficult to deal with. Our goal is we want to go through every part of scripture difficult or not because the Lord put it there for our edification. Secondly, we want to be simple. The goal is to not distract from Jesus, not to distract from the gospel. The goal is to say, hey, we don't want to attract people here by anything other than the fact that they came, they met with God, they experienced God, and they heard the gospel, and Jesus himself is drawing them in. And so the goal is to be simple and then relevant that everything that we do will be 
relevant both to your life and the sermons we preach will be relevant to everybody here, not meaning hot topic, but rather that you will leave challenge experience no matter if you've been following God for one month, one day, or 30, 40, 50 years. And the last one is generosity. And this one's important. We'll talk a little bit more about that today as well. But the goal is to be simple for the sake of generosity. The goal is to not spend money on things of the as a church so that we can be more generous to our ministry partners and to those in need. The goal is to not waste money on things that have no eternal value, but instead to put the money where the kingdom is moving forward. Um, and so the goal as a church, right, I told you before, my goal is that every dollar that you give, that half of that would go to outside these walls. That's what we're working towards as a church. You give 150 is going to go outside these walls to a ministry, a local ministry, a global ministry that is going to be in need of help. And so that's our goal is to be generous as a church. And today, like I said, we'll mention and talk a little bit about generosity in the sermon as well. So before we get started, let me pray for us. Let me pray for this time. Uh, and let me pray for a church that's part of the kingdom. Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you are good and faithful, and Lord, that you have been generous to us. Lord, you have been so gracious to us and merciful towards us. And so, Lord, I ask that today you would speak through me, Lord, that you would use these words, Lord, that these scriptures that we talk about, Lord, would go deep into the hearts of those here listening, and God, that you would pierce their souls, Lord, that you would save people today who aren't saved, Lord, that you would reignite a flame in those who may have grown cold. And Lord, we pray right now for uh, Crosspoint Church in Longview. God, we ask that you would move mightily there, God, that souls would be saved, that they would start to see an increase, Lord, in lives being changed by your Holy Spirit and that you would be with Pastor Manny, God, that you would encourage him, that you would speak through him today, Lord, because we're all on the same team, Lord. It's not a competition. We're here, Lord, fighting for you, your kingdom, your cause. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so ministry partners. So a ministry partner, let me just define it for you because I know it's new, but a ministry partner is this. Is anybody outside these walls that has been given a burden for like a specific kind of people, a specific situation, whether it's, you know, sex trafficking awareness, whether it's homeless shelter, whether it's in Houston, there was one called Hope Beyond Bridges where they would give food and clothing to those on the homeless or under the bridge, essentially in the Houston area. And churches would adopt the weekend and they would go and give food. They would go give clothes. In the wintertime, they would donate blankets. It was just whatever was needed, they would go. And so they would go and partner with these ministries that were outside these walls. And so the goal is to find somebody, the goal is to find ministry partners that when we resource them financially and with our people getting their hands dirty, the goal is that when we resource them, that their cause, that they're able to make a bigger impact than they're already making. So we don't want to just partner with anybody. We want to partner with those who are moving the kingdom forward, who are spreading the gospel, who are fulfilling a specific need. But above all is that when we partner, we want to make sure we help them make more of an impact. If they're touching 100 people a week, we want to help them reach 1,000 people a week. We want to help them go forward. And so this is a ministry partner. We want to resource and so where does this come from, this idea of serving, this idea of giving towards an outside? Like, where does this whole idea come from of having compassion for somebody other than ourselves? And this idea comes from the gospel. It comes strictly from understanding the good news of Jesus Christ. Because when it when we, because we're not saved by good works, but we do good works because we are saved, Right? 
we are saved not by our own works, but because we are saved, we now do good works, right? It's not the fruit, the, the root of our salvation is not good works, but the fruit of our salvation is good works. The same way, we give generously as a church because we have been given everything by God himself. Everything meaning things that matter. We serve others, right? We serve others, our ministry partners, but also we serve in this church, whether, you know, eventually we're going to be having serve teams where we'll have connections and a prayer team and kids teams already rolling and tech teams rolling, but We'll have places for you to get plugged in and serve here locally as well. But we serve because Christ served us, right? We serve because Christ came down, became a man like one of us who was hungry, who got tired, who got frustrated, who dealt with all these human emotions and served us. So because he served, we serve, right? And it's all from an understanding that we're not trying to please God and say, God, I give, I serve, I do all these things. Why does this happen to me? No, no, no. It's God, even if all this happens to me, I thank you for who you are, right? That's understanding the gospel. That's having a lens, uh, looking through the world through a gospel lens. You see, it's from knowing what we have in the gospel. Because the good news is that what? We were nothing. We were broken. We were sinful. We were, we were greedy. You name it, right? Paul lists what is called a vice list of everything that we are at some point in our life, right? We were somehow selfish. We were sinners in need of a savior. But God sent Jesus. He took the first step. He didn't wait for us to say, you know what? I'm gonna chase after you, God. Now give me Jesus. No, Jesus, before we were ever born, before the world began, Jesus, Jesus was plan A. And this is the good news, right? This is what we have in the gospel is that with Jesus, we have everything. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Meaning, if you, let's say you have everything that the world says what you should be dreaming for. You have the dream job. You have the dream guy, the dream girl. You get to go on the dream vacations. You get to go and live the life that nobody gets to live, but yet you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. You have absolutely nothing. But let's say you never get the dream job. You never get the dream vacation. Let's say you lose your family in a freak accident. Let's say you lose your job. Let's say you lose everything in this world that you, that you can touch and see and feel and taste. And you lose everything. But you have Jesus. You still have everything. And this is the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to strive and look for our identity. Look for trying to have these accolades in our life. But rather... We cannot have anything of this world or what the world says we should have, but if we have Jesus, then we have everything that we need, and we can go through anything and face anything, and even if we have good things, it's all, it all doesn't compare to the gospel, right? This is having the lens, a gospel lens. This is looking through the world, having a, like a biblical worldview, and so this is what I mean of why we can have compassion is because when you understand the gospel, when you understand what you have in Jesus, then nothing in this world that you either are asked of, taken away, that you receive, none of it compares. Not one. You can't, say, you can't tell me one thing that is greater than Jesus and our salvation. In Matthew 16, verse 26, it tells us this. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You see, when we have Jesus, when we have been saved, we have everything. And we can lose everything, our family, our money, and anything in this world. Why? We can lose it all. We can say, God, if you take it all, I'm still yours. Why? 
Because we know that our treasure, our identity, our assurance isn't in anything of this world, but in our salvation through Christ alone, right? Whatever, let's say you didn't grow up with money and then you suddenly have money, right? Then your identity is in money. Let's say you didn't grow up with a good dad and then all of a sudden guys, right, for the ladies, the guys start trying to, you know, holler at you and you get attention. So then you go after them and you find your identity in there, right? Flip-flop. Let's say you didn't grow up with affirmation from a parent and you're a guy. And so you start finding all your identity in your work, in your job, in anything that you can do. And so you try to have all this identity when Jesus is saying, find your your identity in me and me alone because you will never be satisfied. You will never have enough affirmation. You will never have enough accolades. And you will never be enough of what this world or what your mom, your dad, if anybody in your life that you're trying to find this sense of identity in, you will never have it enough. Why? Because it can only be found in Christ and Christ alone. And this is, this is the way to view the world. This is the way to live life the way Christ intended us to live is through the gospel lens of understanding this. Philippians 3 verses 8 through 10 tells us this. This is Paul speaking. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, meaning comes from doing good things, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This mindset, right, this mindset that Paul is telling us that he counts everything as loss, as rubbish, this mindset makes us very dangerous. This mindset makes us very bold because we're willing to do anything for the cause of Christ. Right, Like Paul, we're saying, God, I will give up everything that you want me to give up, my desires, my dreams, my everything, because your cause, because you gave me identity, because you are the greatest treasure that I have. And this is what Paul is telling that he figured out. And this is why Paul, if you want to read Paul's life, I think it's 2 Corinthians 11, where he was shipwrecked and he was whipped three times for the 40 lashes. He was stoned, you know, stoned to death, meaning they had big stones and they pretty much threw him until he wasn't moving, but he was still alive. I mean, Paul suffered a lot, but yet, and then not only that, but Paul was then had all, he was of the highest of the high of society. He was the, had zeal like no other. He obeyed the law like no other. Paul had everything to boast about, but what does he say in this passage? I count everything as loss when it comes to Christ. And so, right, so you have to ask yourself the question, do I count everything as loss for the sake of Christ? You see, imagine what your life would look like if you truly trusted God with your finances, right? Now, just to give you a little behind the curtain type thing, in, in the in the pastor world, many pastors, there are books and, and conferences on how to talk about money in the church. Because in the church, there's this weird thing as pastors where you can only talk about money certain times of the year. You have to do it strategically. Like there's all these like hidden rules as a pastor of how you're supposed to talk about money. Right. But here at Living Grace, here's what I want you to understand is that money will never be an idol here at Living Grace. 
right? Money is difficult to deal with because it, it, it makes us, when we talk about money as a church, is that it makes us feel like, oh, you know what? He's just wanting me for my money. No, what I'm wanting you to realize is that money is one of the darkest, scariest idols in your life. And it can happen the same thing in a church. Where Let's say in the church where we get so scared that money won't be there, that we're not willing to take risk, right, to go and, and buy things, to go and, and go do outreaches and things and spend money knowing that it's for the cause of Christ, right? So, so in the church world, money and even in the Christian world, people are so, when it comes to money, it's like faux pas, right? You just don't talk about it. But, right, but what I want you to understand is that my goal for you and for myself and for this church is that money is something that we're never afraid to talk about because it will never be an idol. My goal is that we kill it every single time. Because let me, let's walk through this. How do you know it's an idol, right? So let's figure out what money looks like when it's an idol in your life. Here's one. When you constantly check your accounts in the morning, Right? When you constantly check your accounts in the morning or throughout the day just to see, oh, am I still good? You know, am I good? I still got my money in there. Another one, when you spend more time thinking about making money, paying bills, buying something than you do God, scriptures, or prayer, right? When you focus more time, energy, you have anxiety about how things are going to get paid or how you're going to afford this or how you're going to buy this, money might be an idol, Third thing, when the church talks about money and you put on the defense, right? Oh, that pastor's talking about money again. I don't want to go to that place. He's talking about money. No, no, like it reveals a heart issue, right? Because if we have a gospel lens, when, we, when money is brought up, we understand money is nothing to worry about. Why? Because our salvation was the greatest problem we ever had. Paying your, your mortgage the next month, paying your truck note, paying your car note, figuring out how to fill your car up with gas because it's so expensive, none of that compares. Why? Because we realize we have been given everything in Christ. And if God provided our salvation, how much more can he provide our gas money? How much more can he provide mortgage? How much more can he provide whatever it is that you need money for? How much more will God provide, right? But that goes back to you having a gospel lens. You must understand this is the only way that you can truly live the Christian life and not be held back to live the life that Paul is talking about, to count everything as a loss, is if you understand that your salvation is the greatest thing. And if God can provide that, how much more can he provide what you really need? So let's go back to what I said earlier. Imagine what your life would look like if you truly trusted God with your finances. Imagine, though, not going into debt for consumer products, right? Imagine not wasting money on things that are feeding your false identity. Imagine not spending money on things that you really can't afford. Imagine not spending money on things that are here one moment and are rusting the next year or as dirty as all get out the next year. Imagine being able to be generous at any point in time to whoever needs it, right? So we talked about house churches. My goal is that if somebody in house church one day, they show up and they come to house church and they're like, man, you know, this has been weighing on me. I'm behind on my mortgage. I lost my job. My goal is that that house church in that moment says, hey, we're going to take care of your mortgage for the next six months. But how can we have that story? How can we have that moment of this person feeling the, the faithfulness of God if we're not putting money aside to be generous? If we're not saying, God, I'm going to set aside this so that when somebody's in need, they can have it without a second thought. Right? The problem is 
right, we don't do this. Imagine spending more time thinking about God than you do money, things, or anything else. Because I tell you, when you do that, it's a lot freeing. It's a lot free, you're a lot freer. You, you don't stress as much. You're not as difficult to be around. You're not, you know, money hungry. You're not always thinking about money, but instead your mind is on God and his magnificence. And through that, right, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. Meaning seek God, trust him, and everything will be taken care of. Imagine the impact our church can have if we lived with a generous mindset instead of a scarce mindset. Imagine the, the amount of people that our church can impact as a church, together, collectively, if we got to the point where we could give 50% away, right? Imagine what the stories, the, the amount of people, of, of missionaries across the sea to local ministries here, right? Imagine the stories we'll tell as a church, no matter how big or how small we stay or whatever it may be, is imagine the stories we'll be able to tell because of God's faithfulness, because we're, we understand that our God is a generous God, right? Because our God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Our God owns everything. Our God knows what we need before we ask. Right? He knows what you need. He knows the things that are gonna break down next year that you have no clue about, that you don't know how it's gonna get paid, and yet somehow God's gonna come through and take care of that. Why? Because he's doing it now. Right? Might be, might be somebody in here, we're in our house churches, and somebody in here says their car breaks down and your house church next year comes and says, hey, we're going to pay for you to get that fixed. We'll fix your transmission. We'll fix your engine, whatever it may be. You see, he get, we simply become the conduit by which God can bless those around us. He gives us money and resources so we can go and give it to others. Now, we talked about finances, but let's look at what it would look like if we trusted God with our lives, right? Which our lives are probably a little more sacred than our money is for a lot of people, right? It's like, you can, I'll, lose, I'll, I'll give away my money, pastor. I'll give away my money. I'll do that, but don't take away my time. Don't, don't mess with, my, with the way I like to live life. Don't do that, right? And so let's look at what, it, let's look at what our lives will look like. See, there's a book uh, called Who Is This Man? The Unpredictable Impact of the Life of Jesus. It's by a guy named John Ortberg. Really fascinating book. If you're interested in like, the history of Christianity, history of Jesus, as was he a historical figure? This is a great book for you to read. But in there, uh, in the third chapter, he, he talks about one of the primary reasons the gospel has spread was because of how the followers of Jesus live their lives, right? So it's how the followers of Jesus would take care of the sick. So one of the ways, like I said, that it would spread is because of how Christians would take care of those who were sick around them. So uh, way back, way, way back, there's a guy named Marcus Aurelius. Uh, if you watch The Gladiator, it's the guy in there. But there's a guy named Marcus Aurelius. And in, uh, during Marcus Aurelius' reign, there was an epidemic, right? We're familiar with epidemics. But there was an epidemic, and they think it was smallpox. And there was probably, they said it probably killed about a third or a fourth of the population that was there during the time in Rome. A third of the fourth of the population. And then about a century later, at, there was another epidemic, and there was about, at the height of it, there was about 5,000 people dying daily in the midst of this, to the point where there were so many dead bodies that they were just piling them in the streets and using them as, like, dirt because they just didn't know what to do with it. And they were just trying to stay safe and, and not to get this, whatever epidemic was going on. And so people responded in panic. And he writes, and he says, there was no guidance in the writings of Homer 
There was no commands from the Greek god Zeus to care for dying people you do not know while putting your own life at risk. So at this time, everybody was panicked because everybody was a follower of these false gods. But none of these, god, none of these gods cared about or tried to teach them to care about other people who were dying, who were sick. This wasn't normal. This wasn't a normal thing in that culture. But there, but he, and he quotes and he says, but there was in that world a community that remembered they followed a man who would touch lepers while they were unclean, who told his disciples to go heal the sick. And at that time, a third century bishop, his name was Dionysius, he looked back and he said, and he, he talks, he gives us a glimpse of what the Christians were actually doing with the sick at this time. And he says this, heedless of the danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. So let me read now what, Mr., what Brother Larry read earlier, right? Which might be familiar words. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, the idea that the least of these were treasured, that somehow the Jesus that they followed was present in this suffering. You see, the Christians in the early church at this time, in the third century, they counted everything as loss. They were, a, they were willing to lay their life down for their brothers and sisters in need who were sick in this epidemic because they counted everything as loss for the cause of Christ. So let's go back and read that line again. He says this, And they departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors, and cheerfully accepting their pains. When I, when I first read this, the first thought that went through my mind was I missed it during COVID. I absolutely missed it during COVID. When COVID first hit and the fear was just thrown on us and the fear of everything going on, and I remember how scary it was. I remember Lysawing my Amazon boxes like a whole can of Lysol and I'd leave it outside and I would leave it there for a whole day, letting the sun kill whatever was on it, because I was so, I did not know what was going on. And I say, and I don't know about, right, I don't know about you, but for me, I missed it. And I, when I read this, I was like, they left this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease. They didn't have a second thought about going to those who were dying in, of this epidemic. They said, I remember the words of Christ, that when I was hungry, when I was sick, when I was cold, when I was, when I was all these things, you came and fed me, right? When did we feed you, Jesus? When did we care for you when you were sick? You did it for the least of these. And so I counted my life more valuable than any of those around me. I lived in a way that showed that I valued my life in this world and the kingdom that I was building more than the cause of the kingdom of Christ. 
My trust was, my, it was in my ability to wash my hands and not get near people who were sick. My heart was, for them was absent. And you see, the whole time, forgetting that my Lord went straight to those who were sick. Straight to them. Straight to the lepers. Straight to all these people who were sick in Scripture. Went straight to them. And he went to the least of these. And I remember praying. I was like, Lord, don't, don't let me do that again. So let's keep reading about the church before us. There was a guy named Basil. And Basil said, what if we build a place to love and care for lepers? They don't have money. They don't even have to pay for it. We'll raise the money. And then his brother was preaching in a sermon. He said this, lepers have been made in the image of God in the same way you and I have, and perhaps preserve that image better than we. And he says, let us minister to Christ's needs. Let us give Christ nourishment. Let us clothe Christ. Let us gather Christ in. Let us show Christ honor. And this guy started what was essentially the first hospital of the world, right? Was a Christian who said, hey, we want to take care of the lepers who have a crazy skin disease who nobody's supposed to touch because you would get it as well, but we're going to care for them because nobody else is. And we're going to step up as the church and care for them. And so they created the first hospital of what this is why you see a lot of like Christus Hospital here in Tyler and in Houston, right? You have the Methodists, like this is why hospitals are so popular and why you see so many like Christian type uh, elements in hospitals. Another guy, his name was John Henry Dunant. He couldn't stand to hear soldiers crying in pain from being wounded, wounded, so he devoted his life to help those in need in Jesus' name. And that started an organization in the 1860s of what we know as the International Red Cross. This guy said, I see those in need, my brothers dying on the battlefield who are bleeding to death, and I'm tired of hearing them cry, so I'm going to create. So he went and just did something, and it eventually became the International Red Cross, which everybody knows. So when you see that Red Cross, you're seeing Jesus' thumbprint on this world. There was another guy named Father Damien, and he was a, a Belgian priest who worked in Hawaii among the lepers there. And he created a place for the lepers to be loved and cared for. And every week, he would go to these guys and he would say, hey, God loves you lepers. And he would tell them the gospel and he would preach to them. He'd say, God loves you lepers. God loves you. And then one week, he goes and he stands among them and he gets ready to preach and he says, God loves us lepers. Because in that moment, he gave his life and didn't count it as loss and where everybody probably would have said, don't do it, don't, don't go in there, you're gonna catch it, you're gonna catch it, like, don't you understand? And he says, no, I count everything as a loss for the cause of Christ. And so he went into there, into the place that he created with the lepers and said, God loves us lepers. And he died of leprosy. You see, this is what it means to live dangerously, right, to be bold. This is what it means to count everything as lost. This is what it means to trust our lives with God, living in a way that shows we value his mission more than we value our lives, more than we value our dreams, our desires for this life. Because we understand that we have the greatest thing we could ever own. And we say, God, I have it. Now, whatever you want in my life, I'll do it. God, whatever you want with my money, I'll do it. God, whatever you want with my life, with my time, whatever it may be, God, it's yours. You want me to be, you know, frowned upon my family because I'd say this or do this. God, you want me to lose friends? God, it'll be worth it because I'm going to spend eternity with you and not with these guys, right? I always tell people this, this line. I say, I care more about your soul than your happiness, right? I care more about your soul and where you're going to be one day than whether or not you're happy whenever I'm done talking with you that moment. 
Because my goal is not to waste time here on this earth. I've done, I've wasted too much already. And so I'm not saying, right, so I don't want us to miss this, right? I'm not saying don't wash your hands. I'm not saying be foolish. But what I'm saying is that we as Christians, we as a church need to be willing to risk it all for the cause of Christ. Wherever we are, right? Let's say you're a student. Let's say you work a nine to five. Let's say you work, whatever it is, that we, wherever you work, furniture store, work at a church, whatever it may be, that you are willing to say, God, I'm willing to lose it all for your sake and your kingdom. So do you value your life and money more than the mission of God? Do these stories of, of Father Damien and Basil and Gregory of Nyssa and these guys who've lost their lives, and there's many more stories, do these stories fire you up or sober you or are they just neat facts? Right, because when I was reading these stories, I was sitting in the Texas plaza, wherever it is, in the square, and I was sitting there, and I had, first I had tears in my eyes because I was like, Lord, I missed it. And then I'm reading their stories, and I'm like, God, this is what it's about. God, this is what it's about. It's about understanding that my life is not my own. Even as a pastor, there are still things that I have to live in a way that says, God, it's not about me. It's not about what I want, not about my life, my dreams for this church, for my life, but it's about what you want for this church, what you want for my life, for my family. You see, we have a unique opportunity as a church to, po- to partner with a modern-day Father Damien, a modern-day modern Basil, a modern-day John Henry Dunant. And ours is a lady, her name's Jill. And Jill lives in Troop. And when the pandemic started, she started to help have, or she started, there were some young teen moms and either they were pregnant or they just had their baby, but they were needing supplies. And it was the middle of the pandemic. So her and her husband would go and they would give these supplies to them and they would take care of these girls. But then they started to realize, man, there's a lot more people in need. Whether it was on Facebook they found out or next door, I'm not sure. But there was a lot more people in need. And so they said, okay, let's create this box. And so they called it a blessing box. And so they had this blessing box where they started to pack it with toilet paper. They started to pack it with, you know, diapers, baby wipes, non-perishable foods. And so they started with one blessing box and troop. And they started to see that they started to make an impact. So what did they do? They made like eight or ten blessing boxes. And they placed it all around the greater Tyler area. And so now every single week, there's about 100 to 200 people that they get to minister to. But that's not counting the blessing boxes because the Lord gave them a building. And so now every single week on Friday nights, they go and they feed anybody who comes. She said, my rule is if anybody's hungry, whoever shows up, they get to eat food that night on every Friday night. And then not only that, but then she offers free prenatal classes, free parenting classes. She gives away free maternity photos for young moms and single moms and tries to help them find counseling or whatever she can do to help those in need. She wants to do it. And then above that all is that she gets to every single time that they gather around the table and they eat food, and every single time that she gets to be with young moms who don't know what to do, don't know what situation they're in, I don't know where the dad is, or, or if the dad's there, the money, they lost their job, whatever it is, is that every single time she gets to share the love of God and the gospel with every person that she gets to walk with. And here's the crazy thing, they're both retired, her and her husband. And I asked them, I said, so who, how many people partner with you? Like, how do you afford this? She was like, well, the Lord just provides every month. 
this is how much our rent is, this is how much. And I said, so you're, you're taking care of 200 people a week, not counting your blessing boxes, and you still have to pay these bills, and you're only living off of one check? And she goes, yeah, but God provides. And I said, so no church is partnered with you? She was like, no. I said, okay. I was like, well, you shouldn't have told me that because I was like, I want us to partner with you. I said, Jill, my heart one day is that I get, we get to take care of all your bills. That the money that we give to you, you don't know what to do with. I was like, Jill, they got a building and they, they'll need renovation. They need new blessing boxes. And I said, Jill, I hope we can help you with all of these things. Because imagine, they've been going since November. They got it in November. They got these, that building. So in November, they are now serving 200 people a week in troop. And it's like, how much more if we as a church can adopt them and partner with them, can we have many blessing boxes all over Tyler? How many single moms need help and, and, and young teen moms who are about to get rid of their baby and don't know what to do because they are afraid that they're alone? Can we have a story where say, because we partnered with the Wonder Woman Outreach, that they have been, that baby was saved? That this kid who was getting baptized in living grace was a baby that was about to be aborted? But because we came together as a church and said, no, we're going to go and be a generous church, that we get to see a kid get baptized. A kid go from life, I mean, from death to life. Imagine the stories we'll tell of God's faithfulness. Because we said, God, I count everything as loss for your sake. And God, I'll give all I can. I'll fill every blessing box that I come across. Lord, I'll build blessing boxes. God, I'll help cook meals for that Friday night. Lord, whatever it is, I already told her. I said, Jill, you want a building in Tyler? Here's our building. I said, you want to meet moms here? You want to train them? You want to give them classes? The building's yours. I said, whatever you want to do, we want to help you. So this is our opportunity, church, that we get to come together that we get to partner with them, right? Imagine if we could pay their bills, right, and give enough money for them to feed a 1,000 people each week because there's a lot of homeless people. Imagine if we could build blessing boxes in every single area and street of Greater Tyler. Imagine how many kids will eat food because we adopt blessing boxes and we fill it all the time. Every time we go to the grocery store, we're like, oh, we gotta get this because we gotta fill that blessing box. Imagine the impact they'll make if a church of people who trust the Lord with their finances and their lives partner with them. Right? Imagine the impact they'll make as, a, as an organization. Church, we are going to see amazing stories. I know it. I was so excited when I found out. Well, I was sad but excited. I was sad because nobody partnered with them. But I was excited because I was like, Lord, we get to be right there in ground zero. We get to see this thing from the start. We get to celebrate with Jill and her husband as they continue to see God's faithfulness over and over again. And so if y'all can stand with me. Today or right now, we're entering into a, a moment of response where we are just going to take a moment. The band's going to come back up and, and they're going to sing a song. And so during this time, we're going to respond in three ways. We're going to pray, we're going to sing, and then we're also going to give. And so we pray because we say, God, you know, some ways you can pray is this, Lord, save me, 
right? Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe Jesus doesn't know you. And you say, in the prayer you need to pray in this moment is, Lord, save me. Lord, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And God, I want this joy. I want my identity found in you. God, I don't want to just sit on the sidelines. But God, I want to trust in you and you alone. God, I want to give you my life. I want to give you everything I have and say, God, it's yours. Right? Maybe that's the prayer you pray. Or maybe it's, Lord, Help me to trust you with my finances. Help me to trust you with my life. God, show me where I need to die to myself. God, show me where I have valued myself, my dreams over what you want for me. Or maybe the other one is, Lord, how can I help with Wonder Woman Outreach? Lord, what do I need to give to them? Lord, where do I need, how much money do I need to give them? God, what, are, what boxes do I need to fill? Lord, what do I need to go to the grocery store and buy? Because for them, they actually said they need gas cards uh, is what they said they need most because they have volunteers that fill the boxes every week. But the second way we respond is singing. And we sing because, you know, the Bible tells us to sing, but we sing to be reminded of his goodness. We sing because the words train us more than we realize. This is why we're very, me and Alina are working on picking songs that will only benefit you in your walk with God. Not just pick a song because it just has a cool tune or, you know, the newest band just put it out. But it's to pick songs that build your relationship with God. And so one way you can respond to today's message is singing. And the last one is, is in giving. Is in giving. We respond to the message we give. And we say, Lord, my life is yours. Lord, with this money, Lord, it may not be much, but Lord, I know you're going to multiply it to do great things. Or, Lord, I'm going to give this to you so that we can continue to have more stories and we can see that kid get saved and we can see that kid get baptized. We can hear that family, you know, have groceries for a month because we were generous as a church. So I'm going to pray. Band's going to sing. And then just take a moment. Just Would you just respond to whatever the Lord, whatever the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart? Um, if you need to pray with somebody, Pastor Ken, if you can come up here and be willing to pray with somebody and let's see Eva can you come and pray with somebody up here if you need prayer we'll be up here guys or guys girls or girls but let me pray and then if you need prayer we'll be up here to pray with you Lord I thank you I thank you Lord that you have given me Lord my greatest treasure Lord which is your son Lord I thank you that I have everything I need in this world I thank you, Lord, that you saved me. I thank you, Lord, that you have given me a new heart. Lord, that you have given me a new purpose. Lord, that you have given me new desires to glorify you. And so, Lord, even in my life, that you would reveal these areas that I need to die to. Lord, that you would reveal these these idols in my life that, Lord, and you reveal in our lives as a church, these idols that need to die. Lord, these idols that we worship and think about way too much. So, Lord, help us. Lord, it's not easy to give these things up. It's not easy to trust you, but, Lord, every single time that I have trusted you, it's been worth it. And, Lord, you always come through. So, Lord, I pray right now for Jill and Wonder Woman Outreach. Lord, I ask that you bless them. Lord, use us to bless them. Lord, use us to build more boxes. Lord, use us to help them financially. Lord, use us so that we can see 
your kingdom moving forward so we can see more young moms love their children well and raise them to know and love you because you showed them your faithfulness. So Lord, be with us today. Lord, you are great. Lord, we are not. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We hope this helps you on your journey to glorify God by enjoying him and making disciples who make disciples.